Scene one is entitled, God Builds His Nation as a Channel of Redemption. God chooses a man, and from this man is going to build a nation that will be absolutely unique in the history of the world. Why would God want a chosen people? Well, some of the reasons, we don't know everything in the mind of God, but I think He wanted a nation to whom He might entrust the Holy Scriptures. He wanted a nation who would be a witness to the ways of God to other nations. And he wanted a nation through whom the Messiah, the promised seed of woman, would come. So God chose a most unlikely nation, small and weak. And I think the reason he chose Israel was that so it would be very clear that God is the one that is building and protecting this nation And he is the one providing for them. Then he gets the praise and the glory for what he is doing. I grew up, excuse me, I grew up in what I would call a good church. My family was at church three or perhaps four times every week at the church house. I heard many sermons. I heard some good sermons before I was born. I went to prayer meeting and revival meetings. But somehow, I missed a few things in my understanding of the Christian life and how God works. Notice I said how God works and how it works, and not how it works. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I've tried Christianity, I've tried prayer, but it didn't work. Well, it is not the one that works as a formula. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who works in our lives, and He works according to God's ways. Well, I knew that we begin with the Bible, which is God's Word, and that's His revelation to us on how to get saved. I certainly got that much, and it tells us some things about how to live the Christian life. I knew that I must put my faith in Christ according to the biblical account of God's offer of redemption. So far, so good. But I thought if someone put their faith in Christ and joined the church and was baptized, then there would automatically accrue many blessings. Not too bad. But my definition of a blessing was anything on my want list, that which would be good and pleasurable and desirable and advantageous to me, a new car and a ski boat and a beautiful girl who would marry me and ride in the boat. And that was kind of my idea of the blessing. Now, I wasn't into the name it and claim it type of praying, but I just thought if you become a Christian, God just opens up the windows of heaven and pours you out a blessing that there would not be room enough to receive. That's what he says if you're a cheerful giver and so forth. But then I learned some things as time went along. The Lord did provide the new car. He provided the beautiful girl. My dad had a fishing boat, so two out of three is not too bad. But then as time went on, I began to see that success and prosperity could become a curse instead of a blessing if you didn't handle it properly. 
God warned His people through Moses as they were coming out of Egypt into the Promised Land, be careful now, when you become prosperous, it will affect your memory, you'll forget where this came from, you'll be turned to pride, and then comes idolatry. And we see in the New Testament, Colossians 3, 5, that greed is idolatry. And not only that, but I saw the opposite of that, ironically, that adversity and failure could be a blessing. Because a blessing is anything that draws you closer to God. Christ suffered great affliction, and yet the atonement was a tremendous blessing for untold millions. Perhaps you have heard of Nick Wojcic. Nick Wojcic. It's hard to pronounce that Serbian name. But Nick was born without any arms and without any legs. And today he is 29 years old. He is a motivational speaker who travels all over the world, his home being Australia, now living in the United States. He travels all over the world sharing the love of Christ and the gospel. And it's pretty amazing to hear Nick's testimony. He says that when he he was a boy... When he was just a baby, his pastor dad and his mom began to pour out love upon him and hope. So he grew up in a home where they were overcomers. And as he grew to adulthood, he became an overcomer. He's married to a lovely woman. They have a son expecting another child. And if you've never heard him speak, it's a very interesting presentation. And he said that what his parents told him was that you shouldn't be angry about the things you don't have. You should be thankful about the things you do have. How in the world could you get along with no arms and no legs? And yet he does, and he brings a powerful message. So sometimes God can turn that around and we see that adversity and suffering can be a blessing because God wants to work through us as a channel to other people. God gives good gifts and each gift is intended to be a blessing that would draw us closer to Him. Let's see if the Bible would help us with that. Consider it all joy, my brothers. I think one translation says, Count it all joy whenever you face divers' temptations, trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants us to be mature and complete. And then another passage makes it very clear in Romans 5, 2 through 5, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. In the King James Version, it says, Tribulation produces patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. 
Now, experience, dakeme, comes from the Greek word dakeo, and it means to be of good reputation, approved, tried. It means worthiness. One who, trustworthiness, one who conducts himself nobly under trial is dakimos, approved. One who does not respond very well to the trial is adakimos, reprobate. So when trials come, God wants us to trust him because he wants to turn the trial into a blessing. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Be sure that the gifts flow over into the blessing category in your life. We have a lot of gifts here in America. But if the gift doesn't turn out to be a blessing drawing you closer to Christ, then it may be a hindrance to future blessing. And we have mentioned recently a man in whose life that happened, a good example, King Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26, beginning verse 15, And his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He had a great military. He was building up public works, all kinds of things in Israel. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So his blessings became a hindrance to future blessings because instead of doing what he was supposed to do as king because of his pride and his violation of God's command, he was struck with leprosy and ended his life as a leper. So what I had in mind was the Bible tells us about faith in Christ and then everything after that is just a blessing. But I want to share with you now the biblical equation, I believe that would be accurate, that is on your study guide. So we begin with the <clears throat> introduction. We are actually just talking through the introduction right now. And remember that we're not talking about a formula or just a procedure or a principle, but a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But life in Christ is normally a part of a process, and we want to take a look at that process and describe it. Well, God's Word is the source of faith. No doubt about that. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Faith is the source of obedience. What did Christ commend more than anything else during His short public ministry? It was faith. The faith of the centurion, the faith of the Canaanite woman, the faith of the sinful woman who anointed his feet with an alabaster jar of perfume. Hebrews tells us why faith is so important, Hebrews 11:6, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now our seeking him is not meritorious, but it is rewarded by God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then obedience is the source of blessing. On my former equation, obedience was just accepting Christ as my Savior. And then it didn't go much further after that. I don't know how I missed it, 
But I thought that uh, it didn't matter too much what you do after you have accepted Christ because all your sins are forgiven. So you're just kind of in cruise control at that time. Do whatever you want to do. But I don't think that's the case. Blessing is the source of testing. Now, I missed that one completely. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants us to grow to spiritual maturity. So when He gives us a blessing, He many times gives us a test so that we can see how we're doing. And if we pass that test, we may go on to a greater test, just like you do in school as you pass your courses and move on to more advanced courses. Well, that concludes our entire message for today. But now we want to take a look at an example in Scripture that God gives us where we see those points in effect in his life. And that is Abram, who will later become known as Abraham. God intended great blessing for him, and he was called to blessing. Now we're back in verses 1 through 3. God spoke to Abram 422 years after he had last spoken to Noah. That's a long time. We've been waiting a long time to hear from Christ and His return. But we have some things they don't have. We have the completed Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within to help us understand the Scripture. We have the lives of thousands of Christian men and women who have lived since the time of the Bible that have left a record of their lives. So we have a lot of things to encourage us that they didn't have in the same way back then. Now look for three things that God told Abram to leave behind. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's household to the land which I will show you. His country, originally Ur of the Chaldeans, we'll look at that in just a moment, his relatives and his father's household. Who are Abram's relatives? and his father's household. If you're in your Bible, turn back uh, one page to Genesis 11, verse 27. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then verse 31, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldees in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, don't get confused. One of the son's names was Haran, and they're going to a town called Haran. Like if you were Brady and you went to Brady, Texas. So let's see where they were going. If you can tell anything from the map... They're beginning down in the lower right-hand corner in the city of Ur. And then they're traveling up right up to the top there to a place called Haran, over 500 miles. But their destination is Canaan, 
the promised land and you see the red arrows pointing down toward Canaan and then moving on down toward Egypt. And we'll see why they went to Egypt. So it's a long trip. And there were probably hundreds of people traveling with them. Why did they stop in Haran? We don't know exactly, but Stephen in the New Testament gives us some idea about that. And he, Stephen, said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Depart from your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God removed him into this country in which you are now living. This five-year delay in Haran is reminiscent of a lesson that we just had in our weekly Bible study. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now that sounds a little bit rude on the part of Christ, but we learned that his dad had not yet died yet. That's what that would have meant in that culture. If his dad had died, he would have been attending the funeral on that day instead of out on the roadside following the entourage of Jesus down to Jerusalem. What that really means in that culture is, let me wait till my father dies, and they settled the inheritance. Wouldn't want to miss out on that. So Jesus is telling him, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physical dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now when God calls, and it's time to go, But we're waiting and we're wondering, did God really say this? And He's already confirmed what He wants us to do. Be careful. Because we might be caught up in confusion so that your donkey would have to straighten you out, as did Balaam's in Numbers 22. You remember that a delegation came from Balak, king of Moab, to ask him to come and curse Israel coming out of Egypt. And he said, well, let me check with the Lord. And the Lord said, don't go. And then another delegation came a little later, a more prestigious delegation with more money. And Balaam said, well, maybe I better check with the Lord again, be sure I got that right. And the Lord knew what was in his heart. And the Lord said, well, you just go ahead. But you can't say anything except what I'm going to tell you. Well, Balaam came to a rough end. Abram is delayed here. Why did he delay? I don't know. But Abram made some mistakes along the way, and that was one of them. If Abram had gotten down to Canaan five years earlier, perhaps he would have been so well established that he could have sustained the famine that's coming later. But he didn't. Five years in Haran. Now, Abram makes another mistake Anybody guess what it is from what we've had on the screen? What did God tell him to leave? His country, his relatives, his father's household, but who does he take with him? Lot. And we might say, well, that's his nephew, and the boy's dad died, and yeah, but Lot caused a lot of trouble for Abram later on. 
And then God had to remove Lot and separate them before God could continue his work building the nation through Abram. Well, where did he go and why? Chapter 12 and verse 1, he went to a land that God would show him. He knew the general direction, but God would show him the precise place where he's supposed to light when he gets there. We don't like to work that way, do we? God said, just start traveling toward the land over here, and when you get there, I'll show you where to be. God works progressively like that, sometimes with us. Obey now, step out in faith, and God will show you more as you go along. If you don't know the direction in which to go, what do you do then? You just obey what God has already told us in the Bible. About, I would say, 98% of God's will is in terms of following Him and being conformed to Christ and having the character that He wants us to develop. Because if I have the character of Christ, He can guide me easily wherever He wants me to go. So we come to part C, faith, the source of obedience. And Abram did respond to the word of the Lord when he was 75 years old. He was delayed But he obeyed. And when we make a mistake or when we're slow to do what we know we need to do, even if it's get up out of bed and read the Bible, we can know that God is forgiving if we continue to trust in him and put our faith in him and finally obey. What about us? Does God call us to go places today? Well, certainly he does. And he calls upon us by faith and obedience to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross and follow him. And he will show us where to go. How many of you here this morning were not born in Fredericksburg, Texas? Was anybody here born in Fredericksburg, Texas? Hey, very good. We have a few home folks with us today. Well, how did we all get here in this worship service this morning? I don't know all the ways that God accomplished that, but here we are. So we can trust that God's going to show us what we need to do next as a church, collectively, and as individuals. Faith, the source of obedience. Hebrews 11, verse 8 By faith, Abraham Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God." He could see something there in the promised land, in God's promise that we'll look at in just a minute. But he could see something on beyond that, a heavenly city, one that God is preparing for those who have faith. Now, here's another important principle of faith, I believe, and I've seen this sometimes in my life. He went out not knowing where he was going. But I believe that Abram knew where he had been. Many people today don't know where they're going or where they have been, either one. 
Now, I'm not talking about geographically. We know that when we got married, we moved here and then we went here. I'm talking about in the pilgrimage of life. And I think the reason for that is we never even record our own history, some of us. How would we know where we've been? Unless you have someone in your family like Yvonne that can remember everything that ever happened in your entire life, your entire marriage. Well, that's good. But I have to write it down, and then I have to get with the Lord and have a quiet time of meditation and take a look at the Scripture and take a look at what I recorded from 1967 and ask myself, what was I doing back then? I must have been crazy. I didn't even check with the Lord on that. You know, those things you look back in the hall of shame that you shouldn't have done, but you did anyway. And praise the Lord for you young people because you know already that you need to be checking things out with the Lord when you get ready to do something. Now, Abram did have a little easier time of that than we do because Ed Underwood pointed out last Sunday that we have distractions. The electronic media and the mobile devices and all those things that are calling for our attention. So we have to set them aside and we have to say, Lord, where, where have I been now? What are the lessons that I should have learned in life at this point that I need to be applying in the future? What did Abram know about his origin? What was his origin, Ur of the Chaldees? Well, you see there an artist's depiction of a religious celebration restoring the moon god, Nanasin, to the heights of heaven up in the ziggurat that you can see the ruins of even now in Iraq. And there are all the worshipers and the priests and the musical instruments and everything Abram came from Ur of the Chaldees. And that was a place of immorality. It was a place of promiscuity. It was a place of cruelty. It was a place of polytheism. And yet that's where he came from. How do we know that? Joshua, chapter 24, verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, that's the Euphrates, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. That's where Abraham grew up in the midst of all that idolatry. We don't know how much his father's idolatry influenced him, but I'm quite sure that there must have been some influence in his life. We do know that when God called Abraham to blessing, it could not have been because of any righteous accomplishment before God on Abram's part. It was only his free grace that God called Abram. And it's only His free grace that He calls us. And we can see way back here in the beginning of redemptive history that it's God who takes the first step in our salvation, even as He took the first step in building this nation through Abram. 
Section D, obedience, the source of blessing. What did God promise to do as Abram would obey God's word, his spoken word? Well, God said, I will make you a great nation. Uh Uh-oh, faith check, Sarai can't have children. What are we going to, how are we going to get a nation out of that? We're going to borrow some folks from somewhere else. Well, we're going to see that doesn't work very well. God says, I'll make a great nation out of you. Lots of faith checks along the way. This is to be a very unusual nation. It's the only nation on earth where you can go and learn about God. Amazing. You can't find out about the true God anywhere except in Israel. And all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. By the way, when you're praying for wisdom, remember to pray for faith, because Solomon's faith failed him when his heart was turned away to other gods when he was old. I don't know what all the implications of that are, but that's what the Scripture says. Then God says, I will bless you. Here he's not talking about just the nation itself. He's talking about Abram himself. And all of the endeavors in which Abram was involved in the Lord would bring success. In the Lord, that's the key. And he will make Abram's name great. Abram will personally become famous. He'll become known as the father of a multitude, a prince of God, the man in God's confidence, a prophet, the servant of God, and the friend of God. Now, you remember the guys at the Tower of Babel? They were wanting what? A name for themselves. But here is Abram, to whom God gives a great name just out of his grace. And you shall be a blessing. This is in the imperative here, indicating that Abram has a responsibility to be a blessing to others. Just like Nick Boychik. He's a blessing to many, many people, even though he's experienced some suffering. Abraham's going to go through some rough times, but he is to be a blessing. And certainly his, the record of his life has been a blessing to many. And I will bless those who bless you. God's grace will be upon those who wish Abram well. And all the families, excuse me, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Abram's work is closely related to God's work. So if you're opposing Abram, that's paramount to opposing God. And God won't stand for it. And then in Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Remember the divided families in the Tower of Babel? Well, now here is a blessing that is going to be so far-reaching in scope, it's going to reach all the families of the earth. That could only come through Christ, the Messiah. The curse of Genesis 3.17 will be replaced with a blessing. Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now isn't this interesting? The Scripture 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Well, he was getting the scripture directly from the word of God speaking to him. And the men who wrote down the books of the Bible received God's inspired word so that we could have that even today. So when Abraham got to the city of Shechem, and outside the town there was a famous landmark in the plains of Moreh, and something happened there that we need to take note of. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Another faith check. The Canaanites were then in the land. How are we going to have a nation in the land if somebody else is already there? God will take care of that over 400 years later. Now, Abram's faith was rewarded with further revelation. Our faith will be rewarded as we obey with further insight into God's Word. And God can guide us. He guides us primarily through His Word. And we want to be careful that we don't come up with something that is not in His Word that we would call extra-biblical revelation. Because my understanding is the canon of Scripture would be closed at this point. So if somebody comes to you and says, you know, Jesus told me to go to Saudi Arabia and work in the oil fields and get rich in five years, come home and take care of my family, I would say, have you got some verses on that? Did your pastor approve that plan? What about your elders? Is that really what you're supposed What's going to happen to your family while you're over there getting rich in Saudi Arabia? Well, somebody would say, Abram didn't have a pastor. He didn't even have a Bible. How can he check on any authority? Well, he's receiving the word of the Lord direct. God is speaking to him. Now, I know you've heard people say that too. But you better check out the Scripture and see what's going on and see if everything meshes together under the authority that God has appointed. Now, when God does reward our faith and we see His plan unfolding and we're in accordance with Scripture and whatever authority there may be, what should we do? Same thing Abram did, except we don't have to build an altar. Praise the Lord. The sacrifice has already been given. And we can offer up a sacrifice of praise just like Abram offered up a sacrifice on the altar. Here's the last section, blessing the source of testing. Abram journeyed further south into the Negev, as we learn in verses 9 and 10. But then there's a famine in the land. What kind of blessing is that? He gets to the promised land and there is a famine going on. Well, what's he going to do? That's the test that comes with the blessing. Should he ride out the famine in Canaan? It doesn't look like he could do that. If he'd been there five years before, maybe he could. Or should he go down to the pagan land of Egypt, where they have the muddy Nile River to irrigate everything, and they'll probably have something to eat? So do you trust in the Lord or do you trust in the land? And on this occasion, he decides to go with the land. 
Egypt, I think, symbolizes the world and its life of self-confidence. Canaan illustrates the life of faith and victory, I believe. Now, something is missing here that we saw missing when Joshua interviewed the Gibeonites, when Saul was running around the countryside trying to kill King David, when King Hezekiah had a delegation from Babylon to come and visit. We don't see any prayer. We don't see Abram asking God, should I go down to Egypt? Now, somebody would say, wait a minute, that's an argument from silence. Scripture doesn't say that he didn't pray. Well, that's what I'm talking about. He was silent. He should have been praying during that time to see what God wanted him to do. But he decides that he will go on down to Egypt, and hopefully God is going to take care of him there. Perhaps he could salvage some of his credibility if he's going to go down there and lead those people to the one true God be a testimony before them. That would have helped a little bit, but he ran into an unseen danger. And as he got to the border, all of a sudden, he thought about his good-looking wife, Sarah. And the thought came to his mind, in some cultures, if you're going to take another man's wife, you've got to kill the man first. Ouch! Now, in our culture, it's much more simple than that. You get a couple of painful divorces and you can steal somebody else's wife. But in that culture, it couldn't be that way. So Abram knows that his life is in danger. Well, let's see, I could pawn her off as my servant and I'd be safe, but probably defilement would come to her. Let's see, if I could say that she is my sister then I would have the respect of the people in the land. And she might have a rough time of it, but she's going to have a rough time if I'm murdered anyway, so it's just the best of a bad deal. Have you ever thought like that? I've got the lesser of two evils, and both of them look pretty bad. Well, sometimes God likes to step in and do something unusual. Now, we see that in verse 11, if you're still in your Bible there. But amazingly, the sister ruse hits the livestock jackpot because, you see, it was some higher-up guys in the government that noticed Sarai. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, here is an interesting word as we're cruising toward the conclusion. The King James says the princes commended her to Pharaoh. The word is halal, H-A-L-L-A-L. And it really means to praise, to praise profusely. And it's used 99 times in the scripture for praise to God. That's how it's usually used. And it's part of a very important word that's transliterated over into our language from the Hebrew language, Hallelujah. Praise Yah, the abbreviated form of the name of God. Hallelujah. Here, the first time in the Bible, the word halal is not used to praise God, but to praise a godly woman. Now, we know something about that from the New Testament. 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, But let your adorning, he say unto the women, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So the blessing led to a test, and the test led to fear, and the fear led to compromise, to compromise his integrity. And that's precisely what Abram did. One sin leads to another. First, he trusted in the Egyptians to protect him, provide for him, take care of him. Now he moves on to trust in his wife's lie. We learn in Genesis 20, verse 12, that Sarah actually was his half-sister, but she was also his wife. And that's where the lie comes in. Well, what happens when you compromise? You usually get found out. And Abraham couldn't keep the Egyptians from learning that Sarah was his wife. God had something to do with that. In verse 17, if you're looking in the scripture there, the Lord brought heavy affliction upon Pharaoh in the form of some sort of plague. What could be the problem? It came on all the house of Pharaoh. So I'm sure the servants who were catching the plague too began asking around a little bit, and maybe they talked to some of the servants of Abram, and maybe they spilled the beans on who was married to whom. At any rate, Pharaoh finds out, and he is not happy. Evidently, he knew that God's protection was upon Abram and Sarai. But Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now here is your wife. Take her and go your way. That's Egyptian. Forget your bad self out of here pronto. We're tired of the likes of you. And so, believing Abram is rebuked by an unbelieving king. Now, it looked like things were going well in the compromise because we read that he was given sheep and oxen and donkeys and servants and camels. Just what I wanted to take my wife and give me some camels. It always backfires when we compromise. So now, instead of being a testimony of the true God who can provide, who can protect to the Egyptians, I'm assuming that Abram and Sarai are riding home to the promised land in shame and humiliation because what they tried to do backfired on them. And you know, it reads like they got down there, he thought of what he needed to do, tell the lie, and they went into the land and she was taken on to Pharaoh's house, and then it goes for a while with the plague, and then they're thrown out of the land. What happened to the famine? What are they going to do now? They're thrown out of the land. Maybe barbecue some of those camels along the way. I don't know what uh, they're going to do, except I know that God is going to provide for them. Now, most of the time I think of Abraham as a great hero of the faith, and he's just a guy I would really look up to, but as I look at him carefully, he's just like I am. He has fears. Instead of just uh, living the life that God called him to, he's scheming the life of what he can do. And he doesn't mind just telling a lie, a little bit of a lie, if he has to, and some other things as well. 
Now let's ask ourselves the question, what could we take home from this chapter today? And I've got some things here we'll run through quickly. Strengthen your faith by studying God's Word. God likes to do the impossible, and faith means living without scheming. And number two, when God calls, be certain that it's the Lord. Be certain that your authority is in agreement with what you think God is saying, but then obey immediately. Do all God wants you to do, and don't wait to obey, and don't do anything contrary to the Scriptures. Number three, take steps to assure that what God intends to be a blessing in your life does not turn into a source of pride. Did you get a new job? Did you get a raise? Did you get a promotion? Did you get a new house? Whatever it is, thank the Lord for that. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. Don't let the enemy rob you of a blessing in suffering and affliction. Now, I know sometimes it can be rough, and you may not see the blessing right then, but it will be coming. Then number five, try not to let fear force you into a compromise when you begin trusting in the land instead of the Lord, or anything instead of the Lord. And then number six, remember that in spite of mistakes, God blesses those whose heart is right with Him. And the last one, when God rewards your faith, offer Him a sacrifice of praise. What about you this morning? Are you called to a blessing? To receive the blessing, you've got to have Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit of Christ. If you sense that there's, there are some things in your life, like in Abram's life, that are just not quite right, they are a compromise, or if you realize that you just don't have Christ in your life. This would be a good time to get those things straightened out as we pray.